Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 319, current-ish events, recorded March 18th, 2018, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Drive Time Radio for Geeks. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockroach, and joining me this week, as always, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson, and Miles, the Aussie Air Wakeham. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Mark, and welcome to the Faithful Opiates. We rule. I feel, like, I feel like that Verizon guy, you know, who's still around on the TV going, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Yeah. I, I, I said here as always, but it was almost like, as always, we have trouble with one of us. Uh, curse you free software that we use on a daily basis. Um, but anyway, we're here now. Uh, this is our fourth attempt, but you'll never know if I hadn't said something. Um, so... There we go. Uh, Glad to be back with you on the day after uh, St. Patrick's Day. Um, I hope you all wore green, um, or at least were around people who were adult enough not to pinch you based on the color you were wearing. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't around anybody, so it didn't matter. (laughs) Fair enough. I'm I'm sporting the green tagline on Google Hangouts. There you go. You know, I with the young children I have, it's it's a big deal, and it was like the little one was like crying because the one green thing she wanted to wear wasn't clean and it was St. Patrick's Day and she had to wear green or get pants. Yeah, just just get, get, get over it. That's, that's the right way to um, remember the guy who brought Christianity to Europe by pinching people and drinking green beer. Um, nice. So I just wanted to very quickly extol the virtues, virtues of, and I may have mentioned it before, I honestly don't remember, um, of LastPass family. I'm a big LastPass fan. I have been for a long time. And at some point in the recent past, they rolled out a feature called LastPass family. It's a $50 a year add-on, um, uh, whereas LastPass, I think, is like 2 bucks a year. It's it's such a small amount, or 12, $12 a year, that's what it is. Um, uh the dollar a month. The, I pay it happily uh, because I want the service to stick around. Uh, but LastPass Family, it's $50, and you can add, uh, I don't know how many people. Uh, it, it I added to five people in my family without any problem. So doing the math on that, I'm actually saving 10 bucks a month because they each get a LastPass account as a result of it. Uh, and it's, shared, it's a shared vault. So like uh, our uh, Netflix account and our PlayStation View account and things like that, I can share that to them. And the cool thing is I can share that in a read-only format or even a, a, an invisible format. So like they can go to the app and they can fill the password, but they can't see what the password is. So it's a neat little feature uh, for you and your family. I, I am a, have been a big LastPass believer uh, for a while, and I like the fact, honestly, that it's 50 bucks a year because that means that the service is making money and is going to continue to exist. So LastPass family, check it out. Hmm. And I, I don't know that they actually have to be family. You know, if you have five or six people that you want to share stuff with, you could do that. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not a LastPass guy, but, you know, I understand the value for those people that are. I mean, if you have more than two passwords, you should have LastPass. That's I use I the same password on everything. Well, that's I'm the problem. Being, that's why we're cynical. having trouble connecting to you. It's the <laughs> Russians. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> All right, so Seth, tell me about the Invasion Trilogy. All right, so this is a three-book set, hence the uh, trilogy, but it's sort of, so this uh, guy is in a suburban setting, and all of a sudden there's reports of rioting and everything, and so he barricades himself in his house, and they're not zombies, but they people are acting strange, and they're not acting like humans, and so he eventually gets rescued by the army and gets thrown Spoiler into- Spoiler alert. I mean, <laughs> no, because that's on the back. That's like on the back jacket level. Spoiler alert. So, you know, um, and then so he is. So they're fighting, you know, to save civilization from these things. They don't know what they are. And as the series progress, you begin to figure out what's going on. But, um, you know, so I can't really get into more details like that. It, it's um, it's not the um, it's not the uh, action adrenaline super pace that the Arisen series is, but it's somebody who is not a soldier being forced to learn how to act like a soldier in order to protect himself and his family. And so it was kind of like if you've ever wondered what 
how you how an average person would handle those situations i mean the the person who wrote it is is an active duty currently serving member of the military and i think he did a pretty decent job so uh again the the character banter and stuff isn't what you find in the arisen series but three books they're all shorter uh combined read time for me for all three was under 10 hours so um not not you know, not a David Weber thickness of a book, but you know, enough for some good entertainment. So the invasion trilogy by, uh, I can't remember the guy's name. And the one I looked up on Amazon, I looked down and realized, Oh, wait a minute. This is a different invasion trilogy. So, um, so Seth will look that up and get back to us. And while he's doing that, Seth is, uh, miles is going to tell us about YouTube TV. Yeah, I, I dropped you, you – well, okay. I tried YouTube TV last uh, November when it came to Arizona, came to Phoenix. Uh, I decided to sign up for it because, you know, I've been trying to do the cord-cutting thing. Um, I got off DirecTV a bit, but I didn't quite get where I wanted to be with it. Anyway, um, YouTube, YouTube TV came along. And I signed up for it. It's one of those things you can cancel any time kind of thing. And uh, I was using it for a couple of months. And it just was missing some key channels that I wanted. And consequently, I could not, um, I could not use it. So anyway, uh, in the end, I decided to uh, give it up and I canceled it. And so periodically I go back and check to see what they've done. And apparently in February they added uh, CNN and all the Turner Network channels to it, which was uh, a pretty helpful. Um, they also added AMC and a bunch last year. And I'm just waiting for them to put Discovery and A&E on there. And I think this is probably ready to go. But they raised the price to 40 bucks a month. It used to be 35 so now it's 40 and uh go figure um yeah i think all these yeah i think all these cord cutting things like playstation view same thing it went went uh it started at 20 a month then it went up a little more and now their base package is 40 a month uh they're all going to follow the cable model it it started out as being cheaper than cable now it's just an alternative to to cable you're not going to save any money uh but if you like it better fine um that's my my view on it yeah, no, I think you're right. I, my daughter needs to have some sort of TV at college, and so they give you six devices for your account. So this would be, I mean, I can, you know, aggregate it across a number of people, which is good, and it still works out cheaper than the lowest package on my cable offering. So, uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I think it's got a, a place. It just, it's just missing those key channels. i I got to have me some Storage Wars people. Yeah, I can't watch it simply because of the lack of the kid stuff and the DIY stuff, which is all the girls in my household watch. So, I mean, if I had YouTube TV, there would be no TV in my house. Yeah, that's sad. Yeah. Anyway, fingers crossed, maybe they'll solve that problem. It's all about making deals with people. Um, so anyway, moving on now oh, to- Oh, before you do, Mark, oh, just I want to say yes. it's the first book was called The Darkness, and it's by W.J. Lundy. So if you're interested in zombie-esque, um, apocalyptic, world-ending type stuff, The Darkness is book one. W.J. Lundy is the author. L-U-N-D-Y? That is correct. All right. W.J. Lundy. Because we, we did get chastised in our book episode for not talking- not mentioning the author of some books i think we did but i mean i'm not going to argue with the listener if he says we didn't apparently we didn't so but that's one of those things if 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 you listen to them sped up proper names and things that you (laughs) your brain can't context you can't quite understand them and so you just like oh i didn't hear that and so you either stop and slow down and nobody's going to do that in today's society or you just didn't hear it all right, so moving on to the currentish events, uh, Seth has been scouring the web for news items. We haven't done a news show in a long time, and so he was super excited to be back with this. And the first thing he brought is something I'm excited to talk about too: the brand new Raspberry Pi B three uh, B. Yeah, that's what it's called. Three B plus um, is out uh, with some pretty beefed up specs, including a gigabit ish network adapter, which has sort of been the biggest hang up uh, for me. 
Yeah, and honestly, I just read that the Raspberry Pi is now the third best-selling computer of all time behind only the Windows PC and Mac, so at over 15 million boards sold. But yeah, um, it you get 64-bit, 1.4 gigahertz quad-core. Um, it's got Bluetooth, dual-band Wi-Fi, which is pretty cool, um, and you can do modular Wi-Fi compliant certification. Uh, but they keep the price the same, and it's the new Raspberry Pi that is out to, you know, you just think about it. In a couple of generations, I mean, this is going to be your computer. Yeah. You don't, you know, you don't need a big desktop. You're going to have one of these is your computer, and one of these is your petabyte of storage that you carry around with you. And the third one is a power brick for when you're a long way from home. And so you put those on your belt, and there's your wearable system fixed. Yeah, so I have a couple of pies uh, around the house for various projects, and they both uh, have uh, a, U- uh, a, a, a Wi-Fi dongle plugged into them, into the USB port, and a Bluetooth keyboard dongle plugged into them both of these have that built in so now i have just freed up that uh that usb uh and it's it, i said quote unquote gigabit it it is a gigabit connector but it's gigabit over usb so it's essentially a usb gigabit ethernet adapter and usb only runs about three to four hundred megahertz and it's shared depending uh on megabits rather and shared depending on how many devices you have so it's also sharing that with the wi-fi stuff so you're gonna see 300 but that's better than the 100 and it's you know 25 bucks and uh, fits in your back pocket so um all, all my arguments are are void and, and null because it's 35 bucks so did they take away the rj45 off there and only doing ethernet via usb now no it's always been via usb so there's a jack on it but that jack is a usb adapter plugged into the usb bus on the hard drive oh, i mean okay. on the board i might give one of these a try i've been trying to find a dual nick solution that's low sized so it might yes. be interesting so again you, it, contention is going to be your issue if you're running dual nicks both mm. of them are usb so now you're splitting that uh over but you know it depends on what what kind of bandwidth you need for if if 100 megabit is good enough then two of them will probably get 150 to 200 each so uh you know you're good yeah cool um all right little geek news there uh the next one is uh of course uh seth hates max so we have to talk about the fact that malware uh anytime a, a news article mentions numbers in percent i immediately call bs on it but this is uh this is mac um BS, so I'm going to go ahead and report it. Malware for Macs up 270%. Yes, and the article is no less than 270% (laughs) from the year before. So you research how much malware there was the year before, multiply that by 2.7, and then the first couple of months of this year show the sign to only be increasing. So, you know, and the thing that separates Mac from PC is there really isn't a lot of good Mac utilities to protect yourself from malware. You are just, you know, you're looking to Big Brother to protect that walled garden and keep all those nasty things away from you while you can merely click away on cat videos and smugness sharing. Um, so this, when when malware gets in the Mac ecosystem, it is more deadly um, to the ecosystem because you have to wait for Big Brother to put out an update to take care of it. There aren't tools you can go to yourself um, that allow you mean, it to be taken care of. You mean smugness isn't a protection against malware? You know, smugness is the malware's greatest cover. With all that smug, you can't see it's on your system. And you think, my Mac's just running slow, so let me go waste a couple of grand on another one. I Um, literally just did a spit take. I was drinking water as you were talking, and I just (laughs) spit water all over my keyboard. (laughs) But come on. Is it, I mean... Am, am I speaking truth here, or am has my Mac bashing gone too far? Miles, you're a Mac user. What say you? Oh, I, you know what? I want 60 seconds to rant on Mac. Is it appropriate to do it now? Ready, go. Okay. I hate Macs. Here's the reason. They have this stupid idea that they're, they're like this nice, happy, pleasant, green company, and they're a mob of... of Hitler-like Gestapo computer control freaks. And the, the reason I say that is that you can't do anything to protect yourself on a Mac 
unless you break some legal, e, you know, EULA or you're going to be thrown in jail by Apple's technical people. And case in point, most people who have got Macs are sick and tired of the fact that Apple haven't produced a decent one at a decent price in years. And the last ones they did last year were like $5,000 for what's what you could get in a $800 Intel i7. And as a result, people are going out there and going, I want to break free of Apple, but I've got such an investment in that ecosystem and that software base that I'm going to go and build myself a Hackintosh. So they go out there and they buy, you know, they watch YouTube videos and they buy all these components to construct themselves a Hackintosh. And you know that after they've spent that thousand bucks to put that killer system together that's going to be five times faster than anything Apple could ever do, there's going to be a software update from Apple. And the second that that happens, they're SOL. And that is going to happen. You know it's going to happen because Apple hates human beings, period. Okay, rant off. That was more okay. like 90 seconds, but I'm happy to let you have the extra time. <laughs> yeah, Thank and you. Miles, you got Gestapo and you got Nazi. Why couldn't you have mentioned Kami in there somewhere for the for the trifecta? <laughs> but otherwise, well, good rant on that. Yeah, uh, next time. I'll keep that one up my sleeve. Okay. Somebody uh, at church the other day asked me um, about my phone choices, and I, I said I'm an Android uh, person, and, I, and they said, why? And I said, well, uh, there's two reasons. One, there's a basic parity between the two. They're, they're essentially the same thing. And two, I don't want to give my money to a company whose policy is to dump on its customers as often as possible. Um, so there's my reason. Um, and, you know, it's not about the technology. It's about the company. The company sucks. Um, so does Microsoft, uh, and I give them money, uh, but you know, unfortunately, it's a Microsoft world. It doesn't have to be an Apple world. Right, but you can choose the hardware you run Microsoft on. You have no choice with Apple. Right. And historically, you've had the ability to tweak Microsoft, you know, and do do weird things like shut off auto-updates that Microsoft doesn't like you doing and disable their feature and install a third-party competitor program. So, you know, you used to have Linux was the open world that you had to write code yourself. Uh, Apple was the closed world that said hit on and only do it this way. And Microsoft was the medium that you could get draconian or you could be you know quasi free and now they're all merged into this cacophony because i like that word of crap that is rapidly consuming our culture you know one of the there's a certain path that that companies go down right first they're customer responsive and and they build a better product and that's how they get their customers and then they get locked in and they refuse to innovate and then you know because they refuse to innovate they begin to, to stagnate and then their only choice is to sue people a la BlackBerry, who's now making their living by suing people. You know, I mean, come on. I feel bad for BlackBerry because they just, they they had it and they lost it. And so their current contention is, hey, Facebook, your messaging system operates a whole lot like our patented, you know, ironed up messaging system. We're going to sue you. Um, I think Weird Al's sue you in the background here. And then also, um, by the way, Nokia, yours isn't much better. We're going to sue you too. So, um, you know, Facebook's first response was what? BlackBerry still exists. And then so they have vowed to fight it because as we've chronicled many times, these companies both have lawyer cores and the lawyer cores are getting paid anyway so uh, blackberry said hey facebook's got a lot of money let's sue them and facebook's like oh okay guys cut off golf early you know dust off this lawsuit so but you know i don't know the technology behind it i think i would think that because messaging is messaging it's gonna look the same similar regardless so it all boils down to has facebook legitimately ripped off blackberry's messaging technology or is it just close enough that blackberry's throwing this hell mary for one last shareholder grab before they go out of business well and they've fallen so far that um by suing apple and just getting the crumbs off the table of apple that would breathe new financial life into their company that's yeah because of the licensing that would go with it that would be uh you know it would be enough to i don't know Stay they around. are the they are the Kodak of of smartphones. Hmm. What's the point? 
Fortunately, though, there are there are systems and companies that are always innovating and always growing and always at the cutting edge of technology. Like, for example, voting machines. Uh, those are are the peak of security, and you just simply don't get any better than those, right? I'm sure that was a great transition, Mark. Unfortunately, I only heard like every fourth word. So, <laughs> were you talking about the Finder story? No, the voting machines. One. Oh, the voting machine. Okay, yes. So this um, a U.S. senator actually got realized. Hey, wait a minute, guys. These um, voting machines, you know, Russian collusion, all that is really big in the news. So they're holding series of hearings on how safe these voting machines are and of course the voting machine company replies back oh they're very secure we don't even you know they don't even have to be hooked up to the internet and so they um gave one to um this guy to check out and look and so he found remote access software that allowed anyone with the correct password to connect in there and then they dug up a 2006 contract uh, between the state of Michigan uh, that showed that this company was using remote access software you know high tech hacker stuff here people PC anywhere to remotely <laughs> administer the equipment it sold and PC anywhere I can remember many a story where vulnerabilities were found in that software and you know if and I'm sure that you can go on this company's website and find out you know for example the default username is blank and the password is admin that'll get you in the most wireless routers these days but somewhere it's listed on a publicly accessible page what the default password is that nobody changed and so you know this this is the this is our future people um so but way to go a democratic senator from oregon ron wyden um is the one who is behind at least getting this in the news so i i think this is probably i'm not going to say much ado about nothing it's much ado about very little but it, it does illustrate the fact that people just aren't paying attention uh they design a system can it count votes yes great ship it and they don't think about all the ancillary aspects of it. Yeah, exactly. So, but, you know, we've, we've done this many a times. We've been talking about the crappy electronic voting machines uh, in this country since, you know, we were everyday Linux many, many years ago. And it's at least now, you know, proof yet again that we're ruling the web. We've finally gotten senators <laughs> talking about it. I got an idea. Let Apple make voting machines. Oh, sweet. No. <laughs> well, the, you the, meant to vote Democrat, didn't you? <laughs> the, the old saw has been that open source will save us all, that the only true um, safe voting machine is an open source voting machine. I'm not sure that I fully believe in that, but I think it is, you know, that sort of infinite number of monkeys with an infinite number of typewriters thing. Uh, I think it's going to be safer than any proprietary system, though not necessarily entirely secure. Yeah, because, you know, the only way it will be safe from humans is after, you know, Skynet takes over and eliminates the humans, then the voting machines that are left will finally be secured from human eyes. So, and you know, in, when, when we talk about security, naturally, the first thing that I go to is, uh, is the torrent community because they're all about keeping things secure. So uh, why don't we talk about what our torrent is doing to secure the world of cryptocurrency? Yes, well, our torrent, torrent, they've actually found a flaw that allows a Unix-style um, crypto mining software to be installed remotely and take over the machine. And so far, they have... Oh, where was the number? It was in this story earlier. Almost, maybe it was a different story. Ah, ah, oh, dad gummit. Mark, when you cover these stories out of order, it messes up. <laughs> I wonder what they're mining. It messes mining, up because I, I have them opened in order to keep them from loading. But, you know, they haven't made a lot so far, just about $4,000. But that's them using your hardware to mine cryptocurrency, which will cause your hardware to run out faster and, you know, jack up your electricity bill. Yeah, this so, is generated about $43 a day. Not exactly a, a lucrative program, but that's 43 free dollars. You know? Yeah, you know, it, because somebody's had this hack of the R torrent, and then somebody else packaged it. So after a day or two, you know, they've made their investment back, 
and this is just something else that the uh, IoT of stuff that is out there is going to be opened up to in the future. You know, any one computer is not going to mine you much of any Bitcoin. But when you can take over a botnet army of thousands upon thousands of them, then each one of them producing a fraction of a penny, you know, adds up to, I mean, hey, if I could do $43 a day sitting at home, you know, watching my bank account build, I'd be happy as, as a side stream. Assuming you could do it legally and morally and ethically, right? <laughs> but see, don't you have the moral imperative to point out the poorly coded software that is out there? Wouldn't you rather it be doing this than stealing bank passwords and, you know, identity theft? You're just showing them the error of their ways, something relatively benign. They fix their stuff and this is patched and, you know, you drop down to a few pennies a day. Okay. <laughs> so uh, come you know, on, I'm trying. <laughs> the reason I did these out of order because I thought this led nicely to the fact that you know this is uh, this is cryptocurrency at its worst, right? These are criminals using um, your software to mine cryptocurrency because cryptocurrency is such a hot thing right now. It is in in many cases it's free money, uh, and of course it's being traded now um, by people like stocks. It's not a stock, um, and the the latest backlash i mean i've been watching uh the price of of bitcoin specifically uh fluctuate it's it's been down ish uh, it's uh, at about 8000 right now and i think last week it was about 9 or 10000 uh so it's steadily down um uh, and it's because there's been a recent backlash against cryptocurrency uh for example facebook is just refusing ads for cryptocurrency um, and, uh, you know, in tandem with that, uh, this thing is covering my page and I can't see it. Google uh, also banned uh, ads related to cryptocurrency um, and uh, Twitter is planning on following suit. So it's not that they think that um, cryptocurrency is bad necessarily, but they think there's such an unsavory element to it that nobody wants to advertise it. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's one of those things. You know, cryptocurrency should have never, or Bitcoin should have never rocketed up as fast as it did. That was pure speculation and it had to come down. And even at 7,000, if you look at where it was a year ago today, 7,000 is still a huge gain. And long term, I would be very bullish on. Uh, the blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies in general. And I mean, particularly Bitcoin, because I don't think anything else is ready to take its place. But while long-term, I would think it's something good. Short-term, I don't know how far down the bottom's going to go. I wouldn't be surprised if it went below 5,000 for a little bit. But, you know, it's one of the there's just so much FUD, uh, you know, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And you hear people talk about how, oh, drug dealers are using it and people involved in human trafficking are using it for the anonymity. And I'm like, you just said why we should be a cashless society because Bitcoin, the Bitcoin blockchain is not as anonymous as me handing somebody else a $100 bill. That's more anonymous than me wiring $100 worth of Bitcoin to their chain. Um, because, you know, somewhere where there's an off-ramp where that Bitcoin gets converted to cash. And the government's doing a pretty good job of regulating and finding those. And of course, there are ways around it, but you would be surprised at how easy it is with all of the you know deep learning and data mining on the web to tie you to your crypto address. And once that's tied, you know, you could try to do a lot of stuff to obfuscate it. But even if you close out that one and start another one and wire all your money to it, they'll still be able to see it all went there. So there's just so much FUD. And I think a lot of not a lot, but some of it is institutions and big money looking to drive the price down so they can get in and really buy it. Because, you know, even though they're talking about the evils of cryptocurrency, a lot of these companies are trying to buy the smaller ones or they're leveraging themselves to go long on certain cryptocurrency. So this is a short-term hiccup. If, if, you, if you've got the intestinal fortitude, this could be a buying opportunity, but it might go lower before it rebounds. Yeah, I, I would agree with <clears throat> pretty much everything there. I, I think that the you know, look, at the end of the day, you've got to look at the fundamentals. And the fundamentals here is that 
if if the network effect of Bitcoin was to create a frictionless way you could buy a cup of coffee or you could, you know, buy a pair of jeans at the store uh, or you could send money to another person in another country instantly over the internet, it's kind of failed on all of those fronts. I mean, it's too expensive, too slow, and most importantly, vendors are not accepting it. So, okay, that didn't work. And then if you think of it as a store of value, well, that's all great if the store of value stays the same value for a day or so, but with these wild swings of you know 20% in a day constantly, nobody's going to invest in anything with that sort of store of value. So that doesn't work. So we haven't achieved what we set out to achieve. And I would be critical of human beings more than I would be critical of Bitcoin because I do believe very much in the long-term value of Bitcoin. But um, I don't believe in human beings when it comes to using it. Greed has taken this market from 1,000 to 20,000 and then back down to seven or eight. And it will go low. I, I wouldn't be surprised, and, and I'm no predictor of this, but I wouldn't be surprised to see a $2,000 Bitcoin because there's nothing driving it up. There's no network effect keeping it floating. And, you know, without regulation, it's the Wild West, and nobody wants to play in that camp right now. BitConnect, I mean, give me a break. It was We had 24 minutes of comedy on John Oliver's TV show this week just laughing at Bitcoin. And I had to sit back and agree with them and laugh along because human beings are crazy animals and greed destroys a good thing. And that's really what's happening right now. Until we scorch earth this, get rid of that greed out of it, get rid of the humans out of it and bring it back to being a a network effect, store of value and a method of transacting, an electronic peer-to-peer cash system like its original white paper intended until we can return it back to there. I think I think it could be game over for Bitcoin, particularly with the regulators coming in. Maybe not permanently, but definitely down to a very low value before we see it recover again. And remember that the cryptocurrencies were never intended to be um, a way to get rich. They were intend- They were intended to be a way to transfer value quickly and to authenticate that in a rigid unbreakable uh, way and so the blockchain is is being investigated as the real you know workhorse there that's the engine of the bitcoin so bitcoin was just sort of the first out of the block i don't think the blockchain is going in any anywhere that is going to be the future of uh transactions it may be a long future but i'm i'm bullish on blockchain in general um, and Bitcoin is just supposed to be the same price today as it was yesterday or within relative um, <clears throat> a relative range as all currencies do. There's going to be an exchange rate. That's a given. But it's never supposed to go up quickly or down quickly. That, you know, I've said it a hundred times. You can either be a currency or you can be an investment opportunity. You can't effectively be both. And so I think people are maybe trying to step away from the investment part of it and looking at look at it as an actual currency. Maybe not. Maybe it was just uh, all the exuberance going in uh, and now the fear going out. I don't know. But frankly, I'm still bullish on Bitcoin or at least the blockchain itself. Yeah, I, I, have, the, I have a feeling that what we might see is a blockchain will become kind of ubiquitous with all technology going forward. And we won't even really even recognize it anymore. It'll be like SQL databases or open source software. If you're a techie, yeah, you understand that stuff because you've got to write code for it or you've got to deal with it. Um, That's fine. But for the average Joe, they're not even going to know there's a blockchain behind their, their, you know, buying a car or closing escrow on a house or voting in their country or whatever. It'll just be there and we won't even think about it so this whole you know hype about blockchain all these blockchain you know maximalists or whatever that are out there kind of seems a bit lame to me i mean i think at the end of the day it's kind of like ranting about the value of tcp ip and not not trying to look like a total nerd (laughs) but we are total nerds so we're okay with that yeah Uh, and as a total nerd i am just super excited about the day when a freaking helicarrier will come to my house without a human operator and pick me up and take me to work. And that's what Larry Page, famously of Google, has been working on with a project called Kitty Hawk. And uh, he's going to start making it a reality. And I am just ashamed that I don't live in New Zealand right now. Yes. So there, this project is called Cora. 
and it is, a, it is self-piloting, which means that you can get to where you need to go without a pilot's license. It can fly up to 110 miles an hour, and it has a range of 62 miles. So um, they are kind of rolling it. They're going to be rolling it out in New Zealand. You know, uh, drone, flying cars, all of that has been like one of the things that's just in the at least the american psyche mind of science fiction utopia and so they are starting this in new zealand but um i think it's pretty cool so you know and it the thing about this that kind of makes it also cool is the vertical takeoff of this so you know it's not like you need a jet um you know or a runway you don't pull out on the road and elevate and take off you can lift off so instead of having a driveway you have a little helipad and then you have a helipad at your work and so now instead of just having two lanes of traffic you have infinite lanes um where you know people can be flying at 100 feet 150 200 250 feet or whatever and so theoretically congestion is going to decrease because you know then the people on the road there's less cars on the road so this is one of those things that it's cool it's not here yet but they're rolling it out you know this is kind of i would think beta testing this and so um you know way to go new zealand yeah this thing could land in my driveway uh, I, I might have to prune some trees, but it could definitely land in the street in front of my driveway and taxi to my driveway, pick me up, fly me to my office, and land me on the top floor uh, of the parking garage that's open. Uh, that's a thing that could happen right now in my life. Um, I'm well within that 62-mile range. I'm actually about a third of that. And at 110 miles per hour, it would get me there in about six minutes. My, my commute would be about six minutes long um and yeah the i want it i want it now and i'm i'm unafraid to get in this thing and let a computer fly me i i have all my faith in our computer overlords did they give any indication of price or, or you know cost for a trip or something four billion dollars um <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean you know my thing would be I don't think it would be practical now because how or how long is it going to take? You would have to have a ground crew to basically run over, pull out the battery pack, plug in and, you know, push in a new one, hook it back up and then take this one back over to the quick charge. So that's what you're going to have to do. Well, you know. no, the, the, I mean, if this is a service, right, you would just have to make sure that the trip from where they are to my house to where I want to go and back is less than 62 miles so you know you just have to build your launch bays uh, in you know uh the suburbs and in the the regional areas or even it doesn't have to go back right so it could uh take a regional from the sur- suburb to my house fly me to my office and then go back to the the metro hub uh down in in you know in the metro area and and that's i that's completely feasible to me and and then you service it and swap it out you'd have to have a fleet of these things um you know i'm so bullish on this that within you know i think within my children's lifetime maybe not in mine but definitely within in my children's lifetime this will be the way people travel but again i i you would need a fleet of them but you would also need quick change battery technology because otherwise you know think how long is that thing going to be down to get fully charged you can just swap out the mechanism and look at how fast the trips are going to be so during rush hour each one of these is going to be making three four five pickups and well maybe i mean it it, uh, that depends on the size of your fleet because you've got all night to charge them because real i mean let's say it takes four hours to charge you've got a morning rush hour you could charge your entire fleet in the in between and then your evening rush hour and then charge your entire fleet so it's just uh, it's either the technology to drop a battery in and drop a battery out or make it fully automated and just have enough to to meet the demand at the peak and have uh you know a small reserve during charge times yeah, so like I say, they you know it's going to be a combination. Uh, you because you know you would you couldn't go into business with just one of these. Right. You would you would need several, but then. removable batteries is a force multiplier uh in this thing so that that way you don't have to get it down for a charge you know i I just i i see it as being a cool thing to do you know and this would be awesome i don't i don't see why that couldn't be a thing i mean you could you could automate that process if you're smart enough to build a car that can come get you you're smart enough to build an automated battery 
re- well, replacement process. That's true. Miles, what do you think? Uh, I don't know if I trust it. I mean, I'm having a hard time dealing with all these Ubers running around our neighborhood at the moment but without drivers, you know. Um, putting them in the sky as well. Ooh, I don't know. I don't know. I'd, be, I'd, I'd try it once, but I'm just going to wait for the – I don't want to be the first guy through that door, I think. Uh, I, I, the uh, Definitely, it's, it's not about – for me, it's not about the intelligence of the AI. It's about the robustness of the vehicle. If I'm flying at 150 feet up in the air, I need to be really certain that that thing is mechanically sound. It is not going to fall out of the air. Um, the AI getting me from place to place, I, I, I mean, that, that's fine. That's being done right now. It would be easier than navigating your streets in, in Arizona, uh, in Phoenix. It would be uh, much simpler. You could fly pretty much a direct line. You just need your AI to keep you know, within uh, a certain distance of anything else. So um, I think that simplifies the AI part. Uh, it's just the, you know, the robustness of the device would be my major concern. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll be an interesting spectator on this. Yeah, and it's, you know, 400 pounds, I'm probably not going to be a candidate for these things anyway. So maybe this is the thing. Having children wasn't, wouldn't do it, but maybe this is the, the reason I find my big enough why to, to lose weight. Yeah, that, you know, because the, as something like this, the fat tax becomes real. Yeah. Because, you know, even a helicopter, you know, if, I, if a helicopter takes me then that means they're only getting one passenger, whereas otherwise they would be getting two uh, for the amount of weight I carry. So my price is going to be, you know, 50 to 70% more than somebody who weighs half as much as I do. So, and then either, so my trip would cost more because I'm I'm degrading the flight range because it takes more power to lift me, or I'm not going to be able to do it because it doesn't have the power uh, to lift me and maintain the safety cushion. So that's a look at what's happening now. But Seth, tell me what happened this week in history. All right. Well, I actually tied this one into one of the stories we talked about today. So, Mark, on March the 15th, 1892, the first automatic voting machine was invented uh, by Rochester resident Jacob H. Myers, Myers, M-Y-E-R-S. It was intended to replace the hand-tabulated ballots that were used previously. The first machine for Myers' company were used in the the 1896 election, but were not problem-free. Myers withdrew them in order to perfect the design. This opened the door to a rival machine design from his former assistant, William P. Davis, that would eventually capture the city contract. The competition between the two companies would help drive the acceptance of machines by keeping the company names in the public eye. And Mark, that happened this week in history all the way back in 1892. And now back to you. So voting machines are not a new thing. Of course, these were really more tabulating machines, right? Well, yeah. And, you know, kind of it's, you know, you, you press the lever kind of thing. So, yeah. So, you know, let's let's not forget that in 1892, uh, probably around that, I'm not sure, uh, uh, but that would have been a time when the private ballot wasn't a thing. I know like in the, in the 1860s, um, like when, when people wanted to vote for Lincoln, for example, they had to go to their office, they had to ask for a Republican ballot first. They had to announce who they were for, uh, who, who, where they were from. They had to say their name, and then out loud, they had to say who they were voting for. Um, so the, the concept of a secret ballot is a relatively new thing in history. And I'm wondering, uh, if, if there was any thought made to security in 1892, uh, Hmm. for about the ballot. I don't know, but remember Herman Holleris, uh, thing was his punch card machine was used in the 1890 census. So this newfangled, you know, technologically marvel of contraption, this all real, all real new in the American world. It's kind of an ironic thing. I, I was, uh, I'm reading the uh, Starfish and the Spider, the book about decentralization right now. And I just, it's funny you to bring this one up because I was just reading a chapter earlier today about how Rochester, I guess back in the early 1900s, also happened to be the first place where the first woman voted. And that was uh, Susan, Susan Anthony. And then she got uh, a judge basically found her, you know, it was a criminal act or whatever she did. 
and, uh, you know, fined her a hundred bucks or something, which she never paid. But that all happened in Rochester as well. What's going on with voting in Rochester? That place was a hot butt of activity over a hundred years ago, I guess. Wow. And today they're known for, nope, got nothing. No idea what they're known for. (laughs) Kodak. (laughs) So Seth, what do you have this week to lower my productivity? thus making you seem like a better hiring option. Okay, well, this is um, this is a YouTube video, and it has sound, so um, just to let you know. But these, I came across this, and the title of the video is What Literally Happened in the Princess Bride. So this person is telling you the story of the Princess Bride, but taking it out of the story and just you're like how, some, you know, like if you were going to tell somebody about Star Wars, you know, and so talks about how stupid buttercup is how you know uh, fred savage was just a stupid sick kid and things like that and it was just so funny to watch it just you know and of course it reminded me of my love for the princess bride and uh it's just a great thing it is and they have several of the what literally happened in around so it's like eight minutes um it does have sound but cool video i enjoyed it so fun time uh, the Princess Bride is one of the most quotable movies of all times. It is, however, not a uh, a paragon of of uh, Hollywood, uh, the best work ever made. Uh, part of what makes it great is that it was campy and that the story was uh, was sort of hackneyed. Um, that's uh, I read the book that the that the Princess Bride uh, was made from, um, and it was. You know, it was much better than the movie, as books always are. Uh, and and one of the thing is the there's like a uh, like a chapter on how stupid Buttercup is. So this char- this person mocking it is not right. I mean, the character of Buttercup was the most beautiful woman in the land, and also the dumbest woman in the land at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, Robin Wright, she was quite attractive. She she got it right. <laughs> So Miles, did that uh, did that cross the ocean? Was the Princess Bride a big thing in Australia? Uh, no, but I think it's one of those things where once the author and or actors and or director passes on, it will probably become legendary. Um, I think it's just probably too new to be in the in the public consciousness in Australia at this point. But I might be wrong. Surely they know about Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh yeah, well that's yeah. not a problem. Yeah, <laughs> that I was talking with. I made some comment, just like it wasn't even a full sentence. I, I don't remember what I said. It might have just been something as simple as knee today at lunch, and had like four people cracking up laughing because that's such a part of our collective history together. Um, and that movie was a silliness elevated to an art form, right there. Yes, it was. And so this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can contact us, how you can feedback to us, how you can let us know what's going on in your life. Go to elementop.com, click the contact us button at the top of the page, answer the world's hardest captcha, fill out the uh, form uh, there, and that gives uh, sends an email to my inbox that gets priority. You get read before the messages from my boss. Um, not really. He doesn't send messages to that email. Um, but uh, Or you can dial 559-IAM-OP, leave us a voicemail message there. We haven't had one of those in a very long time. Dora, I'm talking to you. Um, and you can, uh, you can uh, uh, we'll play it on the show, or you can send an email to geekrant at elementop.com. And I do want to make a, a plug for something I haven't talked about in quite some time, and that is the cast back app uh that began as the uh the um well i can't remember what it was called zcast app and then before that it was known as the element op app or the the edl app because it began from yours truly complaining about the fact there there wasn't a good uh community-based uh podcast app and so if you haven't heard me talk about it um the the castback app lets you leave comments during a show um, the record them in your own voice or, or, or not record. I'm sorry. You write them, uh, uh, while, while the show is going on. And then later, anybody else using Castback listening to that show, will see a notification that you had something to say and you can then respond back to that. Uh, and then they, the person who did that or everybody listening to that thing will see that notification. So you can have a thread that goes on long after the, the podcast has been recorded. Uh, you can have a conversation. The the thing can live on. The podcast is new each time, um, and uh, it's uh, undergone some significant revisions. Uh, and, and in fact, one of the things I'm excited about it is no longer a free app. 
Um, it's uh, Castback uh, Pro, Castback Plus, Castback Plus. That's what it's called. Is the newest version, and Castback Plus costs you two bucks. I'm excited about that because that means that the developer is making money off of it and is going to be more interested in keeping it up. And that is true. All of the bugs that uh, I had known about before had been fixed. I encourage you to check it out. Currently, it's only an Android app, uh, but who listened to this show on an iPhone? Um, so check out Castback Plus in the Android show. Uh, it's it's two bucks, and uh, I think it's one of the best podcast players I've ever used, period. Plus, it has the added feature of community. So there you go. Uh, okay, that's all I'm going to say about that. I'm also going to say if you're interested in... Uh, uh, Supporting us in the same way that you're interested in supporting Castback, you could do that over at, ele- at elementopcom slash Patreon or patreon.com slash elementop. Uh, give us a buck. I'd appreciate it. Seth Miles, any words of wisdom from you? No. You you did such a great job. I'm just done. All right. <laughs> My head's still spinning from St. Patrick's Day. All that green beer. Yeah. Anybody, really? anybody, anybody ask why it's green? Yeah. Uh, so thank you the listener for hanging out with us you are literally the reason we do this show um, and we we uh, appreciate it let us know what you think more than that if you like it let other people know what you think still the best place to leave us a rating or review right now is the iTunes store I hate the fact that that's true I want somebody to rise up and take over the iTunes store but right now that's the place where you can go and leave us a rating and review and I would appreciate that um, and uh, I guess I don't have anything else to say except for pay for what you like And we'll see you next week because that's it for this episode of The Geek Rant. Mm -hmm.